0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: You
2: know, SAIC connections to 9-11 are just extremely broad. Everything from uh, providing the intelligence for the capture of Clay Sheikh Mohammed, they additionally, after 9-11, were the largest... Non government contingent of the NIST World Trade Center investigation. You know, in my view, SEIC is basically uh, an offshoot of the CIA. And, um, you know, for them to have produced the NIST World Trade Center report, as well as um, been involved in the 1993 explanation, they, they essentially get more government contracts than any other company. They benefit so much, they really need to be looked at in an honest investigation.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. Kevin Ryan began to investigate the tragedy of September 11, 2001, through his work as site manager for a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. He was fired by underwriters in 2004 for writing to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, asking about its World Trade Center investigation and UL's work to ensure the fire resistance of the buildings. He now serves as co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies and board director of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He has co-authored several books and peer-reviewed scientific articles on the subject. His latest article is Evidence for Informed Trading on the Attacks of September 11th," published in Foreign Policy Journal. Today we discuss his four-part investigative series on demolition access to the World Trade Center Towers. Kevin Ryan, welcome.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. Good to be back with you.
0: Uh, Kevin, with Stephen Jones and other co-workers, you have published a series of scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals which present many kinds of evidence that explosives were used to bring down the three World Trade Center buildings, the two towers, one and two, and building seven, by controlled demolition. Most important has been your discovery of nanothermite residues in World Trade Center dust. But these scientific findings raise a couple of obvious questions. How would it have been possible for terrorists to get access to the buildings and prepare them for demolition? And what kind of terrorists have the capability to acquire and use materials like nanothermite? Could al-Qaeda possibly have done these things? And you have done further research uh, to try and answer these questions, who had access, who had the means, the opportunity, the motive, and who profited. You have posted a remarkable series of articles presenting your research into just these questions, the Demolition Access Series. Actually, it's called Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. You look at the corporate tenants of the buildings, the security firms at the WTC, the so-called cleanup companies, and the network of connections between these companies and government agencies and high-level officials. And the research leads into some very illuminating areas. You start by looking at the corporate tenants of the towers who occupied floors that were directly impacted by the airliners. I guess that's the first series on tenants. A logical place to start, and what did you find? Well,
2: I did find a number of people who had access to the buildings who also had access to the necessary explosive technologies and who appeared to have benefited from the destruction of the buildings or from the war on terror. So, uh, as you said, I began with the tenants. And so when I looked at the fact that uh, American Airlines Flight 11 hit the North Tower Between floors 94 and 99, I also noticed that those floors were all occupied by one company called Marsh & McLennan, which at the time was the world's largest insurance brokerage company. And uh Marsh also occupied eight floors in the middle of the South Tower, by the way. But uh, the interesting things about Marsh was, first of all, Marsh had uh, upgraded the fireproofing in those exact floors. Those were the only, the floors they occupied at North Tower were the only eight floors out of 110 that had just been upgraded for fireproofing in the few years before 9-11. But I noticed that Mars has been reported to be a notoriously secretive company and, and has been likened to the CIA. It's, um, its CEO at the time was this guy named Jeffrey Greenberg, who was the son of a uh, well-known Hank Greenberg, the chairman of AIG. And... Um, Additionally, they had a number of executives at Marsh McLennan that caught my eye. So one of them was Stephen Friedman, who is a senior principal at Marsh Capital, and later became George W. Bush's top economic advisor. And Friedman had gone to Cornell University and belonged to a secret society. Uh, they're called Quill and Dagger. It's not very secret anymore, but it's a fraternity, you know, uh, society. And some of his brothers there were Paul Wolfowitz, uh, National Security Advisors Sandy Berger and Stephen Hadley, and also the uh, man who owned the company that designed the security for the World Trade Center. His name was Jules Kroll, so they were all quill and dagger folks from Cornell University. That was just kind of an odd uh, coincidence, I thought, that all these people that were so closely related to 9-11 were in this society. Uh, Paul Wolfowitz, for example, um, wrote the 1992 uh, Wolfowitz Doctrine of Preemptive Warfare, which was implemented after 9-11. And he had also met with uh, General Mahmoud Ahmed of the Pakistani ISI in the week before 9-11. Sandy Berger uh, was connected to 9-11. He was the NSA uh, for President Clinton. But he was, interestingly enough, later caught stealing documents that were requested by the 9-11 Commission. So this guy, who's a fraternity brother of Stephen Friedman, that's what we're talking about. Another um, uh, Marsh executive was Craig Stapleton, who's the husband of George W. Bush's cousin, Dorothy Walker Bush. And Stapleton used to own the Texas Rangers with George W. Bush, and later went on to join a company called Winston Partners. That was a firm that was led by George W. Bush's brother, Marvin. Uh, Another connection to Marsh was um, Prescott Bush Jr., who worked for Johnson & Higgins, a company that was bought by Marsh in 1997. Um, In addition to that, uh, we have a guy named L. Paul Bremer, who's really caught my eye. Uh, Bremer was the CEO of of a company called Marsh Political Risk Practice, and he had an office in the South Tower. So just before he came to Marsh, Bremer had been the uh, leader of uh, National uh, Commission on Terrorism, and prior to that, he had been the managing director for Kissinger Associates. So as far as the technologies go, Bremer also was the director of a company called Komatsu, who had patented and a thermite demolition device in 1996, and this is public information. Uh, Komatsu was also at the same time in partnership with a company called Dresser Industries, which is the longtime uh, oil services intelligence front that George H.W. Bush got his start with. Um, So there's a lot going on with Marsh. There's, There's a lot of interesting characters there, and certainly my view is that these people who would have uh, benefited in, in, in many ways, I can go into more about that, but L. Paul Bremer, for example, uh, became the Iraq occupation governor after we invaded that country. So he was a he was an executive for Marshall McLennan that occupied all the impact floors of the North Tower. He was a director for a company who had patented a thermite demolition device. And then he became the Iraq occupation governor. And, uh, in addition to that, he brought another character along with him, uh, to Iraq. His, his name was Bernard Carrick and Bernard was the New York city police commissioner on nine 11. He's considered with Rudy Giuliani to be one of the heroes of nine 11, but he actually went with L. Paul Bremer to work for L. Paul Bremer in Iraq after the uh, country was inv- invaded by the U S and, um, You know, he screwed up the job pretty badly and wasn't there for too long, but it is interesting that uh, he had, um, you know, been the one, his department had been the source of the uh, magic passport that had uh, fallen out of the towers and been retrieved and provided uh, evidence for who the hijackers were. And it's also interesting that uh, Carrick Bremer's assistant is also in jail now um, for uh, assorted crimes. He's just a very interesting guy, Carrick, um, used to work for the Royal Family of Saudi Arabia and also for a company that uh, occupied the uh, part of the impact zone in the South Tower. So there's just in- incredible uh, numbers of connections here that really need to be investigated.
0: Well, with regard to Bernard Carrick, uh, when you uh, said that uh, it was his department that supplied that uh, uh, pristine, intact uh, passport, was that was in his capacity as uh, a Giuliani's a police commissioner, right?
2: That's right, yeah. Carrick had uh, previously worked with Giuliani in 1993 when he first became mayor. Actually, before that, even in, in his campaign, he was uh, his chauffeur and kind of bodyguard he comes off as this, this kind of mob character. He, he really looks like... He, and Giuliani, I think if people look at the pictures over the years, Giuliani looks like he's his whole entourage is kind of a mob um, group. And that's interesting because Giuliani really does have a lot of connections to the mafia through his family. His father, uh, who did time in Sing Sing prison uh, as a thug... Um, was known to be connected to the mafia. His uncle is is known to be connected to the mafia and his cousin as well. So the the connections to the mafia go on from there when we talk about the cleanup of what happened at Ground Zero, but we will come to that.
0: Now, these four articles you've written in this series on uh, demolition access to the World Trade Center towers, well, you present some pretty uh, complicated but compelling information, and uh, there's so much there. Now, all of the people that you've just mentioned were mentioned because they somehow either worked for or had connections to Marsh and McLennan, right, which is predominantly an insurance uh, company, but it does a lot of other things as well, doesn't it? That's right. It's just this
2: huge conglomerate, and... um... You know, all these executives have varying backgrounds, but they're all in some way connected to high levels of uh, secretive, powerful people. And it just seems odd that uh, the company that occupied all those floors and had just upgraded all those floors for fireproofing was exactly where the, the Flight 11 impacted and the fires occurred and additionally, the the people like Bremer who benefited, who appeared to follow along with the 9-11 wars, as it were, and uh, benefited from the crimes, uh, seem um, worthy of investigation, at least as much as the 19 alleged hijackers that we've been told about.
0: Well, now, uh, what is the significance of the fact that the fireproofing was upgraded on the very specific floors where the planes impacted the towers. What is the significance of that, in your opinion? Well, it's a, it's a significant
2: thing because I believe that um, this is a way in which the explosives could have actually been placed without a lot of people knowing. So when the fireproofing is upgraded in, in a high-rise, the ceiling panels have to be removed, the floors have to be removed, essentially the structure has to be exposed so that the fireproofing, which is applied directly to the steel components, can be exposed and then, and then fireproofing material can be applied. So at that time, of course, if you uh, had the intention of placing explosive materials, which would have cut these steel components, uh, if you had intention of putting wiring in place um, as part of a demolition plan, that would have been a good time to have that done. So, and in addition to the fact that, you know, the. The odds of the eight floors that Marsh occupied being exactly the eight out of 110 uh, that were upgraded for fireproofing seems just to be a very small probability uh, incident.
0: Boy, you can say that again. Now, uh you spoke about L Paul Bremer and his uh connections to Marsh McLennan. Now you also uh talk in your paper about an interview that L Paul Bremer gave to NBC Television on September 11th, 2001. What did he have to say? Well, yeah, Bremer, for some reason, was one
2: of a, a few people who seemed to have all the answers
0: right on September
2: 11th, and he claimed that Osama bin Laden was responsible in this NBC interview, and that possibly Iraq and Iran were uh, were involved also, and he called for the most severe military response. So um, for some unknown reason, uh, this interview was posted on a website, and Google removed the interview three times from its servers. Um so it just seems odd that Bremer would have all these uh, close connections to marsh and to the aftermath in Iraq and yet be this person who is calling who's telling us what happened on the day of 9/11 and calling for war with uh, Osama bin Laden, Iraq and Iran. So we do know that we invaded Afghanistan uh, with the intention of catching Osama bin Laden, making war with Osama bin Laden. We did uh, invade Iraq as well. So two of those three things came true, just as Bremer suggested. And then uh, Iran, uh, we've done some saber rattling over the years about um, having war with Iran as well. So Bremer seems to be right on the uh, message on September 11th. And uh, there were a few other people who had that those kinds of roles. One of them was Jerome Hauer, who we'll uh, talk about Possibly later with the, uh, the security aspects.
0: Right, exactly. I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, uh, you've been speaking so far about Marsh and McLennan in the North Tower. Now, what about the South Tower? You write about uh, floor 83 of the South Tower. There was a corporation called AON Corporation, a Chicago-based competitor of Marsh and McLennan. And you write that today General uh, Richard Myers, one of the people most responsible for not protecting us on 9-11, is a director At AON. And then you also go on to talk about some of these uh, uh, other characters that were uh, associated with AON Corp. Yeah, uh,
2: one of them was Jim Pierce, who is the first cousin of George W. Bush. And he was a managing director at AON. I call it AON AON. He was a managing director of AON on 9 11. And he had actually arranged a meeting. Um, in the 105th floor of the South Tower, above the impact zone, because he he worked there in the South Tower. And uh, miraculously, he survived the day, uh, despite the fact that 12 people uh, apparently did come to that meeting, and 11 of those people died. Uh, he had actually changed the location of the meeting the night before to the Millennium Hotel, but apparently 11 of those 12 people did not get the message. And uh, Pierce had Jim Pierce had watched the events from the Millennium Hotel, across the street from the World Trade Center. This, Some of this is reported in uh, uh, kind of a, a, an alibi for him is reported in Barbara Bush's book. I can't remember the title of it. But um, above Aon, there was a company called the Washington Group, which I found really interesting. Uh, they had, uh, in the few years before 9-11, acquired Raytheon Engineers and also a company called morrison Knudsen Corporation, Morris and Newson had a long history of doing engineering projects in in all the hot spots of the world, from Vietnam, where they were the major contractor for military contracts. There, um, Morris and Newson also had demolished 200 plus buildings for the Army Corps of Engineers in the 90s. Um, and interestingly enough, Bernard Carrick, who we talked about, worked for Morris and Newson for three years in the 1980s in Saudi Arabia and uh Carrick had also worked in Saudi Arabia in the 70s and i just find this really interesting that there's uh connections between Carrick and this company that occupied uh, it was just above the impact zone in the south tower as well as his connections to uh Bremer Marshall McLennan in the north tower so um anyway as far as that goes Aon uh was in the south uh, tower impact zone so was the Washington group um, the Washington Group also had uh, contracts and still does uh, security contracts for the National Laboratories of the Department of Energy. And that's interesting because the Department of Energy uh, National Laboratories are where uh, nanothermite technology was developed. And so, um, you know, when we see that um, there are these people like, uh, in addition to Aon and Washington Group, um Baseline Financial was in the South Tower impact zone, and Joseph Kasputis was their CEO, and he has long history with the Department of Energy. Uh, he had uh, actually been part of the Arab oil embargo, uh, dealing with the Arab oil embargo in 1973 for Richard Nixon. He was an instrumental in creating the Department of Energy. Um, so... Anyway, his company, Baseline Financial, also made structural modifications to the southeast corner of Floor 78, which is exactly where Flight 175 hit the South Tower on September 11th. Um, I think, you know, overall we just need to keep, Keep in mind that we're not necessarily accusing anyone here. we're trying to answer basic questions. Who could have placed explosives in the World Trade Center buildings in terms that breaks down into smaller questions who had access to the buildings who had access to the technologies and who might have benefited and um, So we get groups of answers and uh, as we move along, we'll look at uh, you know the security companies and how they are related to these people. Um, those who cleaned up the uh, ground zero site are another um, uh, group that are interesting. And uh, a fourth group along that lines is kind of interspersed in my uh, series of articles is uh, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, who are part of the management group of the buildings, as was uh, Larry Silverstein's group. He had a lease on the towers and uh, also owned the uh, building seven. So, um,
0: well, it, yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Kevin, because I wanted to talk about the port authority next when we start talking about uh, your article on security and design. But I just wanted to reiterate that several of these corporations that you mentioned as tenants in either the North or the South Tower, uh, who made modifications specifically with regard to fireproofing uh, before 9-11, also had... Uh, dealings with the Department of Energy, and the Department of Energy was developing thermite and nanothermites.
2: That's right. That's right, exactly. And, you know, Joseph Kasputis, who I mentioned with Baseline Financial, is another guy who, he he was a CEO over this conglomerate of of companies, and some of them uh, really looked very much like... uh, um, Intelligence service companies. And, uh, you know, in the uh, articles, I go into detail along those lines, but he clearly had connections to the national laboratories of the, of the Department of Energy. And as we said earlier, that's where the nanothermite technology was developed, the same nanothermite materials as we are finding in the World Trade Center dust.
0: Uh, Kevin, part two of uh, your Demolition Access series is on security and design of the towers. In the second essay, you review the security organizations and contractors that had access to the Twin Towers. You begin by taking a look at the quasi-governmental agency, the New York-New Jersey Port Authority itself, which directed the construction of the World Trade Center and managed the complex Up until the last three months of its existence, the Port Authority was a major tenant of the North Tower and managed the Newark Airport as well. What did you discover about the Port Authority and Alan Reese, the Port Authority's World Trade Center director, considered, quote, the mayor of the World Trade Center?
2: Well, Reese
0: was very interesting to me for... um one important
2: reason, he, well, two, two reasons in that. First of all, he had uh, access to uh, the entire complex. Another reason was that he appeared to have given false testimony on two issues. One of them um, was the same false statement made by Donald Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, and George Bush, that nobody could have imagined a hijacked plane being rammed into a building. And, uh, you know, so his, he had made that statement uh, to mainstream media, and obviously that was untrue. It was untrue for him for several reasons, because he was involved in the... Uh, recovery from the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and the plan to make the buildings more secure which was um, ultimately handled and designed by the uh, company Kroll um, but Alan Reese obviously he uh, he was since he was part of that plan he knew that uh, the Kroll executive the deputy chairman of Kroll Brian Michaels jenkins had written very specifically about those types of things he he made it very clear publicly that he thought uh you know one threat was that a a plane could be flown into the world trade center towers uh reese also knew that one of his employees um frank martini had publicly stated that the world trade center towers could withstand multiple impacts from airliners um so he seemed to be um, making false statements about that when he said that nobody had ever thought of that. Clearly, people had, and, and they were planning for uh, that possibility. Another strange thing is there's an interview with Reese after the fact in which he and a, and a police captain were uh, said to have escaped from the World Trade Center complex through the World Trade Center dust cloud, and he, Reese kind of uh strangely mentioned that he had kind of crawled out from underneath the uh the rubble almost and uh, escaped and and he's on this video and he says he was covered head to toe in this in this dust cloud and uh it's almost like the police captain with him is embarrassed to hear him say it because he turns his back on Reese while he's saying that but um the one odd thing about that is Reese doesn't have any dust on him when he's saying that. He just he just escaped from this black dust cloud that covered his entire body doesn't have any trace of it on him where it's clear in the photographs of other people who were trapped in that dust cloud that they're just covered with dust. I mean from head to toe they're covered with dust, but Reese didn't have any on him. So those were two interesting um testimonies from Reese that seem to be false. And I mentioned Brian Michael Jennings. Uh, He's the deputy chairman of Kroll at the time. Uh, He was an old special ops army guy from Vietnam. And uh, as I said, Kroll uh, designed the uh, security system for the World Trade Center after the 1993 bombing. And they hired uh, a number of companies. The Port Authority hired a number of companies to implement Kroll's design but Brian Michael Jennings had some interesting connections other than that he was um he was appointed by president Clinton to be part of an aviation safety and security uh, commission and he worked with uh, a director of uh, one of the other security companies James Abrahamson and uh, John Deutsch the uh, director of the CIA so you know the idea there is that ultimately the crimes of 9-11 were not just the destruction of the World Trade Center. The other major part of the 9-11 crimes was the disabling of the air defenses. So um, my current series of articles is only on the uh, demolition of the buildings or the destruction of the World Trade Center buildings. But ultimately, I would like to take a look at in more detail, and I have been doing that recently, how the, the air defenses could have been shut down. So the Aviation Safety and Security Commission is one thing I'm interested
0: in. Oh, yes, that's going to be very interesting. Well, before we uh, leave, Brian Michael uh, Jenkins of Kroll Associates, whom you've been talking about, I notice you also uh, write that he was a former chairman of the Rand Corporation's political science department, and he directed Rand's research on political violence. That seems quite odd. Yeah, it's really odd. And,
2: you know, the other Rand advisors at the time that he was there include Donald Rumsell and Condoleezza Rice, uh, Frank Carlucci of the Carlyle Group that we can talk about uh, in in detail because uh, they're connected in another way to this, also to the StrateSec company. But uh, oddly enough, Jenkins also served as an advisor to the National Commission on Terrorism that that L. Paul Bremer had led. So now we have another uh, kind of odd connection between all these people that uh, played such major roles on 9-11 and afterward.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
2: Speaking about strategic, if we could go to that uh, next, I would say that strategic has been uh, widely discussed among independent uh, 9-11 investigators because it uh, not only had the president's brother as a director, Marvin Bush, um, but it also had a fellow named Dexter Walker, um, who has been claimed to have been a cousin of the Bush brothers. Um, he actually is a, a distant relative of the Bush brothers, but uh, not uh, a cousin in a sense that any of us would say, that's my cousin. Um, but he is a really interesting guy, nonetheless. And so, again, Jules Kroll's company, the Kroll Incorporated, designed this security system after the 1993 bombing, and it was implemented by strategic and three other minor companies. Stratesec had the role of integrating the entire electronic security system. And it had these directors like James Abrahamson, that, that I mentioned, um, Marvin Bush, the president's brother, through the year 2000, during the time these fireproofing upgrades were going on, the president's brother was a director of the security company that was responsible for the World Trade Center. It was also responsible for Dulles Airport, where Flight 77 took off on 9-11. It was also responsible for a period of time for United Airlines, which owned two of the other three planes that were um, were used on 9-11. So this company, StrateSec, is very interesting, and it should be investigated in detail. Unfortunately, it was really not investigated at all, and, and uh I recently wrote a paper on insider trading related to 9/11, and Stratesec is one of the companies that was recommended for investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission. But the FBI um, kind of blew it off. They didn't even interview the people who were claimed to have made these suspicious trades, and. Those people were Wurt uh, Dexter Walker and his wife. So this Wurt Dexter Walker fellow keeps coming up again, and uh, you know he was he was the CEO of StrateSec at the time. The COO was a guy named Barry McDaniel, and uh, Barry McDaniel was uh, formerly uh, an employee of BDM International, which was a Carlyle Group company. So he worked nine years for BDM International and uh, then became this chief operating officer of Stratisec. Well, BDM International was known and has been widely reported as being a company that um, that had black project contracts for the government. So the Colorado Group company, BDM International, which conducted black projects, sent this guy over to Stratesec in 1998, just before uh you know, the events of nine eleven to work for Work Dexter Walker. They also sent their um their financial executive, I forget his name, Amos Liu is his name. Um but Barry McDaniel is also interesting because prior to that he had worked at Fort Belvoir, which is um kind of an intelligence um center in Maryland, where it has a lot of connections to nine eleven, including the Able Danger program and uh some other things. But uh so Getting back to Stratisek, Wart Dexter Walker, uh, suspected of being an insider trader, you know, and he's hiring people from the Carlyle Group. And the Carlyle Group, if people don't know uh, much about it, it's very... Um, very suspicious, and that you know the Bin Laden family were investors in the Carlisle Group, as were the Bush uh, family. The uh, George H. W. Bush was a and a major advisor, as was a uh, number of people who worked for him, like James Baker and um, Frank Carlucci, who I think we mentioned earlier, who was deputy uh, CIA director for Bush, was the manager of uh, the Carlisle Group at the time that they were sending people over to Stratisic. So uh, there's just a lot of interesting things that need to be investigated. Unfortunately, none of them were investigated by the very weak false reports that we've been given from the 9-11 Commission. And obviously, nothing of that sort was investigated by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, that was responsible for conducting the World Trade Center investigation.
0: Now, uh, Kevin, you've uh, talked extensively about Stratesec.
2: Stratisec. Oh, yeah. It, it was also known as Securicom.
0: Right. I wanted to bring that up because I think a lot of people think of it as Securicom. That was its name originally, right?
2: That's right. It was actually originally called Burns and Row Securicom. And that company was started by an assistant to Nelson Rockefeller. His name was Sebastian Cassetta. And uh Burns and Row Securicom was purchased by a company called Kuam Corporation, the Kuwaiti American Corporation, that was run by a member of the Kuwaiti royal family, El Sabah family. At the time, work Dexter Walker was just a director of Kuam, But in 1992, when they bought Burns and Rose Securicom, they changed the name to Securicom. And they did have to go through some legal wrangling because there was already another company called Securicom, and they ultimately had to change their name to
0: Stratisek. Right. And then Stratesec got the contract after the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. So we have both Kroll Associates and Stratisek working on uh, the upgrading of the security system, Right. That's right, and Kroll uh,
2: again. Kroll is was known for years as the CIA of Wall Street, and so you've got this company, the CIA of Wall Street, designing the security system and then implementing it with this company, Strategic, that has so many connections to the Bush and Bin Laden, Carlyle Group uh, organization, and you know also history of black projects and the suspected of insider trading, and none of it was investigated.
0: What can you tell us about Jerome Hauer? Now, you mentioned him earlier, Giuliani's director of the Office of Emergency Management until 2000, and then later with SAIC and Kroll. Yeah, Jerome
2: Hauer um, was first noted because he was the director of Giuliani's Office of Emergency Management in the years leading up to 9-11. And uh, it was reported for a number of years after 9-11 uh, that Jerome Hauer was the one who selected uh, the location for Building 7, um, which was very controversial because Building 7 um, was right next to the, obviously, part of the complex that had been hit in 1993, so people were critical of, of locating the, the command center there. Um, he disagreed with that controversy and blame Giuliani, but you mentioned, uh, as I did, that uh, Jerome Hauer was previously an employee of Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC, and this company is really interesting for many reasons. It's got so many connections to 9-11. For one thing, in 1986, they predicted, as part of an analysis for the Port Authority, they predicted almost the exact sequence that happened in 1993, the bombing of the basement levels. They also, after the 1993 bombing, gave the official uh, analysis and, and uh, the official explanation for what happened in the basements of the buildings. Um, they additionally, after 9-11, were the largest non-government contingent of the uh, the NIST World Trade Center investigation. There are 16 uh, SAIC employees listed in the NIST report as being this huge group of people that helped with the NIST investigation. But, you know, SAIC connections to 9-11 are just extremely broad. Everything from, uh, you know, providing the intelligence for the capture of Klaid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, they you know, they're the ones who did that. They're the ones who who are given the trailblazer project to correct the National Security Agency's um, intelligence gathering process. And uh, SAIC is really just is so interesting with all these people who worked for them, Jerome Howard being one, Stephen Hatfield, who had been the uh, one of the original um, suspects in the anthrax attacks, ended up getting this huge payoff almost a, a hush money payoff for some reason um and then um in addition to that robert gates who is our current uh defense secretary and has been a major player in every administration going back to the uh, the the carter administration robert gates was a saic board director as was bobby ray inman um people may know him um you know in my view SEIC is basically uh an offshoot of the CIA and uh, you know for them to have produced the NIST World Trade Center report as well as um been involved in the 1993 explanation they they essentially get more contracts than any other company more government contracts They benefit so much, they really need to be looked at in an honest investigation.
0: Well, yeah, Kevin, and and as you said, SAIC, which is Science Applications International Corporation, uh, was a major contributor to the NIST World Trade Center report, and, as you write, has expertise in nanothermites, and was founded by a scientist at Los Alamos National Laboratory.
2: Absolutely, and you know, so you know, nanothermite is a material that has been found in the World Trade Center dust, and that has been reported through um, a series, really, of peer-reviewed scientific articles culminating in one in uh, in April 2009. But um, SAIC has not only the uh, uh, expertise to create nanothermites, and they have a they have a subsidiary called Applied Ordnance Technology that, that uh, specialized in laser ignition of uh, nanothermites. And so one other reason that's really interesting is that an employee of SAIC was at Ground Zero, and he was responsible for these little robots that, that crawled around in the debris pile. His name is John Blitch, Lieutenant Colonel John Blitch, and he was a special operations officer on September 10th, and he was, on September 11th, an SEIC employee. So the story is that he was intending to become an SEIC employee, and it just so happened on that very day, he had... uh, you know, ended his military career, gone to ground zero, and and with a team of people, had all of these robotic uh, crawlers going through the debris pile, uh, ostensibly looking for victims. And, um, you know, but these uh robotic crawlers have been reported to have been used for uh, the elimination of unexploded ordnance. And that's in my paper, uh, the fourth part of this series, um, so you know the implication is that this SAIC employee John Blitch, um, whose company had had researched laser ignition of nanothermites, was using these devices, which had been used previously for eliminating unexploded ordnance, might actually have been doing just that, trying to eliminate evidence. Um, so SAIC, in any case, has this really broad and and comprehensive connection to 9-11, but the connections are just really extensive.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What about the intelligence contracting business, the outsourcing of intelligence to companies such as TRW, Booz Allen Hamilton, Lockheed, Hughes Aircraft, and SAIC? I don't think people generally understand what these companies do.
2: Yeah, they really don't. And people do need to know that because if you read uh, Tim Chirac's book, uh, Spies for Hire, which is really revealing, you'll find out that the... uh, the majority of intelligence work today is done by private companies. It's not done by government agencies. And the majority of people who have top-secret clearance are private contractors. They're employees of private companies. So it, it may be surprising to people, that, but the, you know, most of the detailed knowledge about us is in the hands of private companies, it's not in the hands of government intelligence agencies but as you said uh these companies over the years have have somehow been able to develop uh contracted intelligence into this huge industry this this industry that's just completely out of control and and is part of what is called the revolving door of uh government and corporations uh, in in this kind of business where um there's really no there's almost no uh, line between intelligence agencies like the CIA and the NSA and these private companies, they just keep going back and forth from the agency to the company. And they, the private companies have now taken over really all of intelligence contracting. And SAIC is, is known as one of the major players in that industry.
0: Part 4 reviews the cleanup of Ground Zero. In the cleanup section, you discovered uh, some highly disreputable companies that resulted in the removal of all of the forensic evidence of the massive crimes committed at the WTC. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was very
2: interested in, in who was hired to clean up uh, the debris because it would involve um, cleaning up evidence for explosive materials or what are generally known um, more broadly as energetic materials. And uh, so the companies, the two major companies that were hired by the city of New York to clean up Ground Zero, were two huge British companies. One's called AMEC, A-M-E-C in capital letters, and the other's called Bovis Lease. Now, AMEC and Bovis Lend-Lease, along with all four of the companies, the security companies that implemented Kroll's security design, all six of those companies have done major work in Saudi Arabia prior to 9-11, which I also thought was interesting. But AMEC and Bovis Lend-Lease went on to hire... All these mafia companies, they subcontracted the cleanup work to a bunch of mafia companies. You know, we're talking about Mazzocchi Wrecking and so forth. Um, these are companies that are fairly commonly known to have been connected to mafia, Del cavacanti family and, and so forth. And there's just so many um, reasons to wonder why this would happen. Because in the past, the mafia has been closely related to Things like drug running, uh, things like uh, the savings and loan scandal, some connections to the Carlisle Group with James Baker, for example. And, uh, and also because the people who investigated terrorism in the years before 9-11 were also the people like Giuliani who um, supposedly had done all the investigation and kept organized crime under control. Anyway, um, these people went through Ground Zero, and um, they destroyed the evidence. And Giuliani was uh, the one who, uh, uh, on the face of it, was responsible for that decision. But that's not really true. The one who uh, was ultimately noted as being responsible for that decision was a guy named Richard Tomasetti. And he was a partner in a company called Thornton Tomasetti. His partner, Charles Thornton, was uh, part of the NIST advisory committee for the World Trade Center investigation, and and that actually had a long history with uh, people who had covered up terrorism for the government. And so, um, you know, he's connected to Gene Corley and, and Mete Sozin, the Oklahoma City bombing investigation, and all those guys were uh, together in that. But Richard Thomas said he made the decision to recycle all this steel, And really, he was doing it, you know, against the wishes of not only all the 9-11 families, but also the uh, professional engineers, uh, fire engineers, who were just outraged that they were destroying all this steel evidence. For example, uh, the editor of Fire Engineering Magazine had said at the time that they were destroying all this evidence that the whole thing was a half-baked farce because obviously they weren't looking for you know, an explanation for what happened to the buildings, and they'd hire these people to uh, just destroy the evidence.
0: What about AMC and Wedge One of the Pentagon? Right. AMEC,
2: AMEC, the company that, along with Bovis Lendlease, were uh, ultimately the two major uh, companies involved, the British companies involved with cleanup of Ground Zero. AMEC had just finished uh, completing the refurbishment of the Pentagon, and they had just done Wedge One, which was the exact place where Flight 77 was said to have impacted that building. I now, mean, this is just an incredible coincidence that it's publicly reported on the Army's news sites that AMAC had just finished reconstructing Wedge One, where Flight 77 is said to have impacted that building, and then they went directly to clean up Ground Zero. What are the odds of that? The odds are just incredibly low, another incredible uh, coincidence.
0: We've all been told that none of the black boxes from the planes have been found. What did you uncover about that claim? Well, uh,
2: actually, there are people who said that... um, the black boxes were recovered. And uh, not only that, that uh, they worked on them. And so in my articles, I go into detail on these black boxes. And this is part of why you know, we can't really believe uh, much of what is said when we're told that the black boxes, which were uh, designed to be indestructible, were never found for any of the four planes, but yet we do have reports from people who say that they worked on those black boxes and they did find them, firemen and others who said that they were found. Um, and those those reports were not investigated.
0: Well, uh, what about insider or informed trading on stocks in key companies just before the attacks? There was tons
2: of different cases reported, and not just uh, airline stock, but financial company stock, treasury bills in the billions of dollars, and also these, these very odd credit card transactions that occurred on the day of 9-11. And you know, these credit card transactions, for example, were actually discovered by recovering the hard drives of computers at ground zero. And the FBI, again, they claimed that no such evidence existed, but this has been uh, openly admitted by a company called Convar in Germany that recovered information from all these computers, and it was clearly evidence of what they called doomsday dealings. Now, in addition to that, I I mentioned that people like uh, Dexter Walker of Stratesec were... Recommended for investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the FBI covered it up. They never even interviewed Work Dexter Walker, people appeared to have you know, insider information. Not only that, they appeared to have connections to uh, what is said to be al-Qaeda, the popular version of al-Qaeda.
0: Well, well, one thing I noticed sprinkled throughout this essay series, Kevin, is that the mention of BCCI comes up all over the place. Uh, What did you find out about BCCI? Why did that keep cropping up? Well, one reason that it it was interesting to me is that a number of the people in
2: New York City who were uh, closely involved in the events of 9-11 were also investigators of this company, BCCI, which is the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. And people may remember this company as being the biggest bank fraud in history. It was on the cover of the Time magazine uh, issue in 1992 as the biggest bank fraud in history. But it was really much more than that. Uh, BCCI was on the face of it, it was uh, a Pakistani-Saudi uh, United Arab Emirates company, uh, but it worked with the CIA. That's well known now. Was deeply involved in, in funding and supplying the Afghan rebels in the 1980s, and some of those the rebels later became Al Qaeda. Um, but when I see that uh, Rudy Giuliani was involved in not only the organized crime investigations, but also the BCCI investigations, and Michael Cherkasky is a, is a guy who was the chairman of Kroll on 9-11. He was also involved in BCCI investigations in the 90s. Michael Chertoff um, is another example, a guy who became Homeland Security uh, Secretary. Michael Mukasey, who was a U.S. district judge for the Southern... Southern District of New York. Um, all these people were r- right there in the middle of the BCCI terrorism investigations in the 90s. And um, they all had such close connections to the World Trade Center nine eleven, 9-11 that I thought it was really interesting. So I looked into it a little bit more. And uh, BCCI uh, was... Um, claimed to have secretly owned this company called First American Bank Shares, a Washington, D.C. bank. And I think it was really the other way around. Uh, First American Bank Shares appeared to be a CIA-run company, um, and I think they were more in control of BCCI than the other way around. But I look at people like Clark Clifford. Uh, He's dead now, but he had been the chairman of First American Bank and the attorney for BCCI, now, this guy had such incredible connections. He was noted by L. Fletcher Prouty in his book, The Secret Team, as being a member of this secret team of very powerful people who really were behind a lot of the major events in history. Um, he had been JFK's personal lawyer, and he was, uh, as I said, attorney for BCCI and chairman of First American Bank. He wrote the official report on the USS Liberty, which was known to be another false flag of event in history. Um, But BCCI, I think people ought to take a look at that if they can, the history of it. The best book on that is called False Prophets, and um, Larry Gerwin is one of the authors. It was written in 1992-ish. And I just find it really odd that that BCCI kind of wrapped up or was said to have been closed around 1992. And then Al Qaeda began to be blamed for events. The history of Al Qaeda starts really like the month after George H.W. Bush was, uh, he lost his bid for reelection, the first Bush. Uh, in December 1992, they were blamed for their first attack. And then in, uh, two months later is when the uh, the 1993 World Trade Center bombing occurred and, and so on and so forth. I just think that these networks that BCCI created, um, along with the CIA, and their connections to the Afghan rebels and this, this network that is uh, called Al-Qaeda, um, I think that all of it kind of fits together in a way that um, we can see that the al-Qaeda network, as is, is, uh, Michelle Shasodosky has said, is really a co-opted asset of, of uh, Western intelligence. And if we look at the people who were investigating BCCI and the, uh, the terrorism that was being financed there, I think we're going to find out more about what happened on 9-11.
0: Well, Kevin Ryan, thank you very much for all of your hard work on this uh, most important subject. Thank you, Bonnie. There's
1: something happening Yeah, yeah. What it is clear. There's a man with
0: over there. I've been speaking with Kevin Ryan. Today's show has been. Demolition Access to the World Trade Center Towers. Kevin Ryan works as a chemistry laboratory manager in Bloomington, Indiana. He is the former site manager for environmental health laboratories in South Bend, Indiana, a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. Kevin Ryan is co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies, which publishes peer-reviewed research. He is the co-author of a peer-reviewed article published in the April 2009 edition of the Open Chemistry Chemical Physics Journal, entitled "Active Thermitic Material Discovered in the Dust from the 9/11 World Trade Center Catastrophe," he has co-authored several books and peer-reviewed scientific articles on the subject. Visit www. Journal of 911 studiescom that's journal of the numbers 911studies.com many of his articles can be found at www.ultruth.com that's U-L-T-R-U-T-H dot C-O-M today's show was co-produced by Todd Fletcher Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. to leave comments order copies of shows email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com or faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. Hey, yo, these are
1: some serious times that we live in G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution? which is the evolution of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, a sniper trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look side inside yourself for peace, give thanks, live life, and release. You